Matthew 6, 16. Follow along with me as we read this. Jesus speaking, he says, Now whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they'll be noticed by men when they are fasting. And truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but your Father who is in secret, but your Father who is in secret and sees what is done in secret will reward you. So as we progress in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, we're, we're still under this sort of this banner uh, of teaching that, that Jesus uh, in this section really started off at the beginning of chapter 6 in verse 1. He, he says this, he says, Beware of doing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. And what we've considered is, is Jesus has taught us about giving and about praying. And as we see this morning, he's, as he takes on the, the, the discipline and the act of fasting, what Jesus is warning us about here is, is, not, is not doing wrong things or bad things or unwise things. He's warning us about doing good things. There's, there's actually a righteousness that we can practice. And if you're here this morning and you're saved, you're born again of God, the Spirit, you are a Christian. Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. Then there is a righteousness that you possess that is not your own. It is given to you as a gift because Jesus is perfect and his righteousness is given to us as if it is our own. What Jesus is not teaching here is here's how to get into heaven. Here's the hoops to jump through. Here's how many push-ups you gotta do. Here's how fast you gotta run a mile. That's not what he's doing. This is not a, a get into heaven by merit or performance or discipline sermon. What he's saying here is you have a righteousness in Christ that is yours. And I, I, I like the way that Josh White preached this uh, a few weeks ago where he said it's like being born with a natural talent. You still have to put it to practice. You have to manifest it outwardly. It's an inner reality that is then made palpable and real in the world around us in real time and in real history. Right now, there's a righteousness that is in us that is given to us by Jesus, and we can actually put that into practice here. And Jesus is saying, here's how, here's some ways that you do that. Here are some practices. Here is prayer. Here is giving. And here is fasting. It's a righteousness that you have that then you work out. And what Jesus is warning us about here is not practicing those things, but practicing them for the wrong reasons. And actually what he says in, in verse 1 of chapter 6, do not do this, do not practice your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. That word noticed in the Greek is the word theaomai. It means to be viewed publicly or to actually be looked upon with admiration. And we know that as we've studied the scriptures, the Pharisees were, were known and Jesus warned his followers about the Pharisees and that they do things to be noticed by others. They do things for the clout. They do things for the applause. They do things so that people will respect them and give them the best seats and get out of their way whenever they're walking through town. Jesus is saying, don't, don't go before the Lord and pretend to be doing things in reverence and worship of him when really all you're trying to do is get a pat on the back from somebody else. It's a, it's a very, very strong temptation to do that. We're going to consider that in a minute. But the, that word to be noticed by men, that word theaomai, actually is where we in English get our word theater. It's to, it's to put on a show. And Jesus says, don't, whenever you do these things, don't put on 
theater. Don't do it to be looked upon by other people with admiration and with applause. And so Jesus has covered prayer, he's covered giving, and now he's covered fasting. And, and I'd, I'd like to just put this under, I don't usually preach like this, but under just three, three questions, three uh, main questions that we're gonna consider this morning about fasting. What is it, how do we do it, and why do we do it? Uh, and the first two we, we should get through pretty quickly. It's the why do we do it that I really wanna focus on. So this, what, it, what is fasting? The word, the word fasting in the Greek means not to eat. It, it's, it's specifically about food. And there are other ways that you can fast. There's other things that you can put aside that are legitimate needs of the human body. And we will consider that a little bit later, but suffice it to say that the, just the general gist of the idea, what is it to fast, is to not eat. It's to abstain from food. And it's, it's intentional, it's an intentional abstaining from food. It's an intentional deprivation that's intended to hyper-focus you towards God in a unique way. And it's okay to want God to see you doing it. It's okay to fast before the Lord and, and know that he sees you doing it and to actually want him to see you doing it. To want people to see you doing it is where it becomes hypocrisy. If and this is what Jesus warns about in these, in these verses, 16 and followings. When you fast, don't put on a gloomy face. Don't, don't look sour. You feel hunger. You feel pain. You feel uncomfortable. But don't intentionally put that on your face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance so that they'll be noticed by men. There it is again when they are fasting. But truly, I say to you, they have received the reward in full and this warning that Jesus is giving here, this being, this, don't do these things to be noticed by men, that is a really, really awesome thing to experience, isn't it? This isn't some like throwaway sin that nobody deals with. Being noticed by people, there's something in the human heart that wants to be acknowledged by fellow people. There's something in us that wants to do something, whatever we put our hands to, and to do it well, but then we have to talk about it. We have to brag about it. We live in a culture that actually posts food on the internet, not even food that we cooked. It's just food that we're eating, and I'm not trying to shame anybody for doing that, but I, what I'm just talking about, the heart issue here is that we want to be noticed. It is in our DNA to be noticed and to be applauded. And what Jesus is saying is if, you, if you're doing that just for, just for the sake of humans seeing you, that's hypocritical, first of all, and it's, it's, you're actually selling yourself short. The praise and the adoration and the applause that you really are looking for is the applause that comes from God himself, not from human beings. Do it in secret. What, you're, what is done in secret will be rewarded by your father who is in secret. Anoint your head and wash your face. It's noted in history that the religious leaders would actually throw ash on their face or they would even paint their face um, a, a kind of a, a white color so that they looked sickly and pale to draw attention to themselves that they were in this process of religiously fasting because I'm so spiritual and so mature and you should be like me. Look at, how, look at how much I give for the Lord. Look what I'm willing to give up and sacrifice for him. And people go, oh, that's so inspiring. And they would paint their face just to make it obvious. And Jesus is saying, comb your hair, put on some clone, wash your face, and see what, and, and, and go into secret because what your father sees in secret. And what I, what I, what I was preaching on, I don't remember if it was two or three weeks ago, 
on prayer. Jesus says the same thing. He says, go into secret. And what I highlighted there that morning was that it's an incredible truth that the Lord is in secret. There's nowhere that we can go that God is not there. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, that should be very comforting to you, that even in the deepest dungeons of earth, one of the best sermons I ever heard, I mentioned it when I was preaching about prayer as a, as a pastor who got up and he was preaching to 800 men who were serving a life sentence in a maximum security prison here in the U.S. They will never experience freedom on this earth again. And that pastor said, Jesus, even here, is available to you. You may, you may never drive a car again. You may never just have the freedom to go to your favorite restaurant or do anything else of your own volition, but Jesus and eternity and life with him is available to you even here behind these bars. There's nowhere that you can go to get away from God, and that is a tremendously, there's nowhere that you can't experience him, that, you can, that he cannot hear you, that he cannot feel you. There's nowhere that you can go. He's in secret. And what I'd like us to consider this morning with this in secret is, is it enough that God knows? We love the praise of men. It feels really good when someone gives us a like on our social media or somebody says something to our face that is complimentary. It feels really good. It really, really does. And it's not in and of itself evil, but it can become one of our biggest idols. Is it enough for you? Ask yourself that question. This is a good question to ask. If nobody knows... What I, what I have done or what I'm about to do, if no one ever hears about it, is it enough that God knows? Is he real enough to you that that's enough? It's a convicting question because oftentimes the answer is, is no. It's nice that God knows, but I'd also like it if somebody made mention of it in the announcements at church or gave me a shout out. We love that stuff. And Jesus is saying, look, that's, that's okay, but we're, we're seeking that affirmation in all of the wrong places. When you fast, do it in secret. So fasting is intentionally putting aside food or some other necessity for the purpose of focusing on God and giving him all of your attention. How do we do it? How do we fast? And, and scripture is kind of quiet on this. We have a lot of examples of fasting throughout scripture, but Jesus just says do it quietly. Here, this instruction right here is about as is about as explicit as it gets. When you fast, do it quietly. Don't do it so that everybody knows what's going on. Anoint your head, don't try to put on a show, don't do it for theater. Do it quietly before your Lord. So do it quietly and it's also it's just assumed. This is another one of those things Jesus says when you pray, when you give, when you fast. It's assumed that you're going to do this, but it's not really heavily prescripted. It's not you do it for this long or you do it at this time of year or you do it in this kind of situation, but that not that kind of situation. In that sense it's it's very much voluntary. It's very much personal. What we see in scripture is, is that fasting is often connected to sorrow and to repentance and to times of seeking wisdom. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, there's a seven-day fast after King Saul's body is retrieved back from the Philistines. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, David is in fasting and prayer, crying out for the life of his son that he had with Bathsheba. There's a 10-day fast in Daniel chapter 10 where he says that he was sorrowful and he was praying and he was fasting. 
There's a fast in Joel chapter one connected to sorrow. In the Old Testament, the only time that a fast is actually commanded is during Yom Kippur. Leviticus 16 and Leviticus 27, it says in the, it's, it's included in the term humble yourselves, that included in that humbling yourself is to abstain from food. In Matthew chapter four, Jesus fasts for 40 days before he begins his public ministry. But then even in the, the early church in Acts, we see that fasting was practiced. Paul and Barnabas fast in Acts 13 before they go on their first missionary journey. In Acts 14, it's written that Paul was in Lystra and then in Derbe and Antioch and Iconium, appointing elders in every church, having fasted and prayed. It seems that it's possible that the Pharisees had created I mean, everything that they did was for show. Everything that they did was just for this, this kind of rote, mechanical, religious practice that didn't mean anything other than look at me, look at me, look at me, and that they might have adopted this fasting uh, discipline twice a week. In Luke 18, you know the story Jesus is, pre- is presenting. A, it's, a, it's a parable, but he says that there's the tax collector and there's the Pharisee, and the Pharisee is bragging about fasting twice every week, and it's possible that that's actually what they did. So we're not given explicit instructions on how to fast or, or when to fast. It is personal and it is, and it is voluntary. And as, and as much as it's not prescribed or even commanded in scripture, the easy takeaway is, well, if it's not commanded, then I'm not gonna do it. Why would I do that? Fasting is rather uncomfortable. So why on earth would I put myself through that? And that's, that's what I wanna spend the majority of our time talking about this morning is, is why would we do this? Why fast? And there's, there's many different answers, and I, I am relatively inexperienced with fasting. Josh, Josh called me out weeks ago, and I'm so glad that he did, because he gave me this passage, and then he asked me, have you ever fasted before? And I said, kind of, sort of, but not really. And I'm really glad that Josh called me out, because I have, to, I have to repent. There's been many, many times in a church service when fasting has been brought up, and I've gone, ah, I love fish and chips at horse brass. It's just... But I, I know, you know, I know, I need to, I need to. And so Josh texts me, he's like, I, I challenge you to do this fast. And, and, and what, I, what I learned during this fast that Josh called us to, and many, many of you did, um, I, learned, I learned some things that, that went to a greater depth than they ever were before. And I, and I wanna talk about some of that tonight and show in scripture where we're promised to, 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 to learn these things and, and that there's actually, I guess I should say it like this, fasting gave me so much more palpable, such a more palpable experience of the hope that we have as, as Christians. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you feel like you're John the Baptist in prison saying, Jesus, are you really the one? This, there's a word here for you this morning. We have so much hope. We have so much good stuff ahead of us. We have so much promise. We have so much resource for joy. And fasting really illuminated to me how powerful and real all of those promises of Christ are and how absolutely certain we are to expect them. So why, why do we fast? Well, okay, Jesus expects us to do so. He expects us to fast. And people might say, well, why? Like, why? Why? He's, 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 he's come, he's died, he's raised again. Aren't we past all that? Well, in, this, in, the, same, in the same book, in, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter nine, 
verse 14, we, we read these words. Disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus asking, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the attendants of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So Jesus is calling himself God there, by the way. He's saying, I am the bridegroom and I am here amongst my people and it's inappropriate for them to fast while the bridegroom is with them. But there will come a time when the bridegroom is taken away. And he goes on from there, you know the story, to talk about a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment and new wine and old wineskins. But what I want to focus on here, what he's saying about fasting is that right now he's saying, I am here, I am present but I will be taken away. And when I'm taken away, then the time for fasting will come. And there's a, there's, there's, a, there's a belief, there's an interpretation out there that says, okay, well, Jesus was taken away at the crucifixion. He was literally led away in chains and then he was killed on a cross and he was in the tomb for three days. But when he rose, he came back. He's no longer absent. He's no longer taken away. And so fasting might have been appropriate for those three days that he was in the tomb, but it's no longer appropriate anymore. And I, I don't think that that's the right interpretation for a couple of reasons. One is because, again, in the same book in Matthew chapter 25, we have the parable of the ten virgins who are waiting for the bridegroom to return so that they might go into the feast, the wedding feast. And that parable is about the second coming. We're still waiting for the bridegroom. And it is true that Jesus has come and he was died and buried and he rose again and he sent his spirit at Pentecost and God the spirit comes and indwells in every single person who confesses faith in Jesus and repents of their sins and puts their faith and trust in him for life and for salvation and for eternity. But there's still this, this, this glass dimly that we're seeing through. We haven't experienced that relationship in full yet. Our bridegroom is still away and until he comes, the time of fasting is still appropriate. This is still the time for fasting. So it is expected. If it's, not, if it's not commanded, it is expected and it is proper for us to fast at certain times. But our fasting must be connected to a certain purpose because if we're going to abstain from food and it is really quite painful, you're just gonna find yourself, if you don't, preoccup, if you don't like plan it ahead, if you don't preoccupy your mind, if you don't fill your time, you're just gonna end up staring at the wall, counting the seconds on the clock, driving yourself nuts with hunger, or you might just be building up your ego. Those are one or two directions that you can go if you just sort of blindly fast and say, okay, well, I'm going hungry now, let the magic happen. It's not, it's not the way that it works. Fasting is intentionally telling your body no. Telling the flesh no. And the flesh has all sorts of appetites, all sorts of desires. And a key one and a necessary one is hunger. So intentionally, to intentionally tell yourself no, to tell your flesh no, for the, for the intended purpose to humbly and intensely seek the Lord what does he have to say? What is he, what is he guiding? What is his will? What is his wisdom? It's to take very seriously that I want to hear from the Lord. I heard one pastor say it like this. I want you, I hunger for you above all else, and now here's an exclamation point on that statement. I'm gonna show you with my body. I'm gonna show you, Lord, with my actions that I, I want you more than I want anything else. that aside from all of these other appetites, the deepest need and the deepest source of nutrition that I have 
is you, Jesus, John 6, 35, the bread of life, the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life because he is sustenance that does not fail. He is food that does not get digested and then done away with and he needs to be filled up again. In John chapter four, when he's at the the woman at the well in Sychar, he promises her water that will leave her never thirsting again. And what she doesn't understand at first is that he's speaking about himself. Every appetite, every desire, every impulse we have to stuff our face or entertainment or social media or sex, that is a, that is a temporary and surface level desire but our, it, that can distract us from the reality that our souls are starving to death and our souls are what need to be satisfied and satiated for eternity and nothing will do that, not any career or relationship or esteem or applause from human beings, no theatrics, no theater, nothing, no sort of facade is gonna satisfy the inner aching of your soul. Nothing will do that except our risen savior, Jesus Christ, he is it. He is what we need. He's actually what we want. He's actually what we are hungering for. The source of all life, the bread of life, Jesus himself. And fasting is a way of putting into practice, severely putting into practice, and, and sincerely saying, I want you. I want your will. I want your guidance. Fasting is an act of love and devotion that actually costs us something. Because oftentimes, in our comfortable society, Christianity, our, our devotion to Jesus can cost us nothing. And fasting is a self-imposed pause on the flesh. I'm gonna clear my mind. I'm gonna deal with all of the things that I'm feeling and I'm gonna focus on Jesus. I'm gonna deny every, everything that my flesh is trying to attract me to, namely food, I'm gonna say no. And I'm gonna trust God to speak. I'm gonna trust God to reveal. It's a tangible and it's a controllable action that puts away secondary appetites, and puts into practice the knowledge and the conviction that what we ultimately want is Jesus himself. And our text today, this text here, not only condemns hypocrisy, but it also promises us that the real benefit of fasting is so much better than human praise. The real benefit of fasting, this was, he, Jesus was telling, these, was telling his followers, listen, the, the, the human praise that those guys get when they put on the theater that's their reward, and that's, and that's all they get. They get the applause of people who don't really care about them, who aren't really paying attention to them, because we're fickle, and our attention spans are so short, and somebody thinks that you're awesome one day, and then they cancel you the next. The real benefit to fasting is way better than the praise of man. And these guys were willing to, how, how strong is the temptation to go for praise of fellow human beings. Well, it's such a strong temptation. It's such a satisfying thing to experience that, we'll, that these people were neglecting food. We love food. Food is good. Food is a gift. It is a real gift from the Lord. And we will actually, there's people who put that aside because I would rather get the praise from people that see me abstaining from food. That's a strong temptation. The praise that we get from people is a real temptation. It's a real temptation, and as good as it seems to be, the real benefit is the praise that we get from the Lord, from the hope and from the experience that we have. This is actually a very short life, and we have heaven ahead of us. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Jesus expects us to fast. 
So that's one of the reasons why we do it. And the other is to control our appetites because our appetites can become our biggest idols. They can become the thing that we look forward to. The thing that makes us okay is the, and I was, I was joking about this during the week of fasting and prayer, that after Sunday night service, which we have every, 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 every week here, Sundays at six, we're going through the book of Acts for the next few weeks. It's gonna end in, in, uh, in April, but that's, that's for a different time, different place. But if you come, just know that it's short-lived. We're gonna do something else on Sunday nights. But every Sunday night that I preach, a big group of us would go either to Sweet Her After or to Horse Brass. My preference is Horse Brass. There's one vegan in our group that we, that we, uh, that we love, and so we go to a vegan restaurant. But if I have my way, we go to Horse Brass and I get that fish and chips. And bro, I'm like, I can, I can, I can write three sermons a week. I'll change Ella's diaper 25 times and I'll deal with every bad driver in the city if I get that fish and chips at the end of the week. That's my reward. What happens when that's taken away? You know, what, that, that really reveals a lot. When that, what's my actual prize? Why am I actually doing this? Why are we doing anything that we're doing? What is our idol? Is it our gut? Are we just filling our lusts? Are we just filling our appetites? Is that what is keeping us going? Is the next meal, the next high, the next fill in the blank? Putting food away teaches us what kind of people we really are under the surface and how much we rely on earthly sustenance and how bitter we can become when we experience this kind of deprivation. How irritable do we get when we're, I mean, we actually have a term for it. It's called hangry. Because we know, you get hungry, you get irritable, you get cynical, you get short-fused, you bark at people, you lose your temper. Paul warns about this in Philippians chapter three. He says, for many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ and whose end is their destruction, whose God is their stomach. They glory in their shame and they set their thoughts on earthly things. Paul's warning there that that's a real possibility that we can get very far in life just filling all of our needs. And if, we're, and if we're even moderately successful at that, we can think, I'm good. I'm well fed. I've got running water. I have pretty good overall health. So I must be fine. And when you fast, when you intentionally say no to the flesh, we get irritable. We realize just how on just how much, like how much lightning we can just spit at people. Man, I, I had to bite my tongue so much when, when, when we were going through that fast. And I realized like this, this problem of cynicism and, and bitterness in my heart runs really deep, runs really deep. And I, Lord, help me. I confess that. Jesus, help me. Fasting brings to the surface things that we don't like to see and things that can remain moderately hibernated whenever we feel good. Take those things away, and what kind of people do we become? And our hunger, even more so, our hunger is, is this physical sensation that illuminates a far more necessary and eternal need, and it's a need for a substance that doesn't ever go away. We need to be filled up so as to never be filled, never need to be filled up ever again. We need something more than food. We need something more than drink, more than sex, more than the distraction of movies and theater and social media. It's a powerful reminder that we are not home. And this was probably the biggest takeaway during that, that, 
that fast. Uh, and I feel uncomfortable talking about it because Jesus says don't, but it's already been announced. So I'm like, I guess that I'm not letting anything out that hasn't already been let out. But what, one of the, the, the biggest takeaways was that we are not home. And so feeling uncomfortable is actually something that we should expect. And I was thinking about this and I, I, I brought a, a picture that we're gonna show of this baby. And that baby is me in 1986, and that's my, that's my mom's hand. I try to act tough, but all I want is to just be there again, just a, just a child in my mom's arms. That's just the most safe place ever. The reason why I brought this is not to show a cute picture of me when I was a kid. It's actually to take a much darker turn. When I look at that baby and I look at me, I realize just how quickly and just how effect, effectively I am dying. Because that's what the difference is, isn't it? The difference between that child, me, when I was, I don't know, a few months old, and now, is that I'm 36 years closer to death. And you know, when I look back over the 36 years, man, it just flies by, doesn't it? Get that out of here, you can change that picture now. I, I felt so weird, I, I text my mom, I was like, mom, could you text that picture of me from an event, I feel really weird about it. But I, but I want to, like, we're, we're not home, are we? We're dying. We're, we're actually decaying actively. And so when you're, when you're hungry, you're uncomfortable, right? When, when you're hungry, you are experiencing pain and you realize very quickly, this isn't my environment. This isn't where I belong. I'm dying. I'm hungry. The fast that Josh challenged us to I lost 12 pounds. My body started eating itself very quickly over just the course of a few days. We're not home. And fasting is one of the quickest ways. Fasting is one of, I was going to say fasting is one of the fastest ways to realize I am, I am shrinking. And I'm shrinking very quickly. We need something. We need someone to sustain us so that we never need anything else. We need that promise that Jesus gave to that woman at the well in Sychar, I will give you water so that you will, water that will leave you never thirsting again. A well that will spring up into eternal life, which is not only an amount of time, but a quality of life. Life with Jesus. The, the, the hard pill to swallow is that in this world, we will be uncomfortable and we will be in pain to some level and to some degree all the time because we are not home. And we have, yes, the spirit of Christ is inside of us, but still our proximity and our relationship to Jesus is going to get so much better in the future. We are not home, this is not our environment, and it's gonna get better in times to come. Life will get so much better in the future and fasting really drives home the fact that the best is yet to come. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes that when we are apart from the body, we are at home with the Lord. The reason why we're uncomfortable here in varying ways, maybe because of illness, maybe because of relationship struggles, maybe because of a thousand different things, 
The reason why we're uncomfortable ultimately is because we're homesick. We're homesick. We're homesick for a land that we've been promised and that we know is real, but we're not quite there yet. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this is what's wrong with the world. It's been separated from, the, from God, from Yahweh who created the world and created the cosmos and sustains, it sustains your very heartbeat out of love and out of grace. We've been separated from him because of sin and the gospel is an invitation back. Jesus said, I paid the price of your sin Come to me by faith. It's by, it's by grace through faith alone. That's it. And even as born-again Christians, we know that we have the inheritance weight, but we're still not quite home. So we're homesick. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says that right now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now we know in part, but then we will know fully just as we, just as we have been fully known. The best is yet to come. And fasting, intentionally telling your body no, specifically from food, but I would say anything. I don't know how addicted I have become to reaching in my back pocket and pulling out my phone and finding something to entertain me. You know, even just reading text messages, finding, downloading some new music. I mean, I've gotten so hooked on that that I feel weird if I don't have it. You know, we, we just were so prone to wanting to satisfy every whim and desire, and it is good and it is healthy to put all of that stuff away, even something as necessary and as good as food for a time to say, Lord, I'm not focusing on anything but you. And the, and the pain and the hunger that I feel actually just reminds me that I am not home. Thank you, Jesus, that I have a home to look forward to. Thank you, Jesus, for the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for the hope that I have because of you. Hebrews 13, 14 says, we have no lasting city here, but we seek the city that is to come. We often don't feel homesick because we have so many of our needs met. It's so easy to not feel homesick. It's, it's actually quite easy. Unless there's something going on, it's easy to just kind of get by and feel like things are good because we turn a knob and we have hot and cold water that we can drink. We've got a heater that's fickle, but still it works. You know, we have a roof over our head. We don't even have to grow our own food. We're not out in the cold hunt, hunting. You know, we're not out picking our own vet, most of us. We go to a grocery store. That work's been done for us. We're so comfortable that it's easy to forget that we're not home. And fasting is a great reminder. Lord, help. I need you. And Lord, thank you that we have so much to look forward to. We have so many distractions and so many comforts that we can forget that we're atrophying right now. We can forget that, yeah, I mean, that baby, you know, I'm, I'm a lot more dead than I was then, but I don't feel like it. I feel stronger. I feel smarter. I feel wiser. I can drive now. I mean, now I'm a dad. You know, I feel like I, but really, I'm slowly going downhill, do you, do you ever stop and think that? Because I, I, I think that we get quite cocky and arrogant. And friends, it's, we, all, we all do it, but what I'm, what I'm trying to get across is that what we have in Jesus, let's do whatever we have to, to remember that we have Jesus. Remember what he's done. Remember that we are not home yet, because the devil is so good 
at pointing out all of the discomforts in our lives and saying, see, 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 God's not trustworthy. Look at all these areas where you're suffering and where you're confused and hurt and lost and cynical and you've been abused and neglected. Look at all these things. God's not good. God's not trustworthy. Friends, no wonder we're hurting. We're not home. We're homesick. And what's wild about fasting is that while on one hand it reminds us very clearly that we are dying, that we're actually physically shrinking right now from hunger, vanishing very quickly. But that just points to the fact, again, this is, this is, this is why Jesus' life defeated death, reversed it. We're heading towards the grave right now, everyone in this room. But on the other side of that is life forever, life eternal. We're reminded, fasting reminds us that we are futile and that we are weak and that we need, we need food. And without it, we're very quickly plummeting into, the, into six feet under. But that also reminds us that death is swallowed up by victory. The cross devoured death, praise God. Have you remembered that lately? Fast for a while. It'll become very real to you what Jesus has done, and maybe a whole lot of other stuff that you weren't even expecting. We fast because it just reminds us of who we are, which is weak and temporary, and that God is strong and eternal, and that he loves you. 2 Timothy 1.10 says, Jesus destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Fasting may remind us that we are dying, but that just reminds us that we have immortality ahead of us because of what Jesus has done, not what we have done. This is better than the praise of men. And finally, Jesus himself experienced decay as well. He experienced denial. He was uncomfortable. He was in pain, and he was broken down to the ultimate. He cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me so that we would never have to experience that level of death? so that we would never have to experience that level of agony. Him crying that out meant that we'll never have to. It's by grace through faith alone. Immortality is available in this very moment. If you're here this morning and you're hurting and you're a Christian, you're not home. I can't tell you why you're hurting, but I can tell you that God loves you. He proved it when he sent his son to experience death so that we might experience life. And Jesus was overqualified for death, and that life that is overqualified is what he offers to us, eternal life, a life with him. It's described in Revelation 21 as a place where there is no more crying, there is no more tears, there is no more sorrow. So today's, today's fasting, when we fast today, we're not fasting hoping that the bridegroom will come, we fast and we remember that he has come, and that we're heading home. We're not home yet, so don't set your expectations too high. It's gonna hurt, but God is good and he works all things according to, for those who love him called according to his purpose, he works all things for the good, all things for the good. This is a fasting that screams that there is a resurrection and we have tasted of Jesus and we just want more, more hope, more peace, more love, more joy. We are hungry for something that we do have, but we don't have it completely. We still see through a, a glass dimly. 
We still have yet to see face to face. Friends, the best is yet to come. We do have the down payment. We have tasted of the goodness of the Lord. Ephesians 1.14 says that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we actually take possession of it. And so we are a hungry people. And fasting reminds us to set our attention on hungering for the right person. Food is good. Social media is fine. Sex and family and loved ones and the, the feel of the sunshine on your face, so many good gifts, so many good gifts. But fasting reminds us to pay attention to the gift giver, that everything here is fading away. If we set our hope too much on things of the world, it's fading away. Don't do that. If you're letting the pain of the world have ransack your faith, that also is temporary, don't do that. Jesus is still here, he's still good. He's even in the places that are secret, he's there listening to you. And fasting brings all of that into hyper-focus. The more that you understand of Jesus, the more you will want him, the more you will hunger for him. And friends, he is endless. He has no bottom. There is no, there is no depth of him that you can get to and then say, okay, I've had enough, I'm done. I mean, this is the God who is holding the sun 93 million miles away all the time. You can't get to the bottom of him. And fasting helps you understand him a little bit more. And finally, you know, in Matthew 9, he said, they will fast. They, do, they will do it. Whenever the, whenever the bridegroom is taken away, then they will fast. Whatever it is that's mysterious about fasting, don't you want to at least try to be a part of it? I mean, Jesus said, my people will do it. Do you want to just try it? Give it a shot. Fasting has more ramifications and depths and, 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 and truths than what I, as just some feeble, broken dude, am ever going to be able to preach or show you. Go into secret. Try it. I think, that, I think that's try it. Because I didn't until Josh called me out in front of 450 people. And I repent of that. And I, I would challenge you to, to find something that you can fast. And you know, the great physician, he knows your heart. He knows your story. If you're unable to fast food because of a health issue or something, that's fine. There's, there's plenty of legitimate needs that we have as human beings that we can put away for a while to just get alone with the God who created us. He knows you. He's not gonna neglect you. He's not gonna forget about you. He's not gonna overlook you because you didn't fast just exactly the right way. That's not the point. I'm going to put away social media for 40 days because there's so much good skate stuff. I just can't, like, what kids are doing on skateboards these days is insane, and I will waste an hour of my life when I'm supposed to be reading my Bible, preparing for sermons, watching zero skateboards and America footwear, yada, yada, yada. I'm putting it away for 40 days. I read my Bible during that time. I could have read the Bible already if I had spent that many hours that I spent on social media checking out the, the newest 11-year-old from Florida who can do triple flips. You know, so what? We're distracted by so many things, and whatever we think we're going to get by those distractions, what we get from Jesus is better. And he has proven himself because he came and he died and he rose again so that we might have life and have it what? Abundantly. He's good. Amen?